0: So we said, well let's let's try to start a group and ask other people what they want in a group and actually listen to them, which is you know mm-hmm. you should be listening to people. People are like a lot of people that run groups don't care what people in the group think, what we do. So we're like, what do people want in a group? How should we treat people? Uh, how can we structure it to get people into a deal as soon as possible without having all these kind of you know unwritten rules that these groups have that are just hindering. People's ability to
1: progress. Welcome, everybody, to the Abundant Journey podcast. Thanks for joining us today. As always, I'm your host, Nick James, along with my co host, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how are you?
2: I am doing fantastic. I'm super excited about today's guest and interview. I'll let you do a proper introduction, but Anytime we have like six or seven people that are like, oh my gosh, you've got to talk with this guy. It gets me really pumped. And so uh super grateful to get to sit down with both of y'all today.
1: Yeah, super excited about no, that. Thank, so, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So we'll we'll do the proper introduction. We got Mark Kenny here from Texas. He is a real estate entrepreneur, business owner, syndicator. And Nick, you uh, you stole the thunder a little bit, but as everybody I've talked to, you know, I as you know, Nick, I've been on this journey of real estate investing for about a year and a half, and I was introduced to Mark pretty early on in that journey, and every person who's come in contact with him and his wife and their business has had nothing but good things to say. So we're excited to hear more about his story, both in terms of how he got started, but also he really focuses on giving back to others and coaching and mentoring. And so we're going to dive in, into that a little bit. Mark, you said thanks for having, having you on, but thank you for being here. How are things in Texas right now?
0: Good. Weather is good. I actually just got back from Atlanta. My brother's daughter graduated from high school. So uh, yeah, back in uh, back in home.
1: That's, That's fantastic. Great. Now, did you grow up in Texas? Has that always been home or what made you land there?
0: I grew up in Michigan, uh, one of seven kids and came down to a uh, Dallas area for work in 99 and didn't really have any intentions of staying here. And it's kind of like, well, November, 65 degrees. like It's kind of nice compared to Michigan and everything <laughs> is new. Versus, you know, houses we grew up in were like 100 years old and just kind of uh, over time, liked it more and more and decided to to move here. So we've been down here for quite a while.
1: That's awesome. And that's got to be a bit of a culture shock difference between Michigan and Texas. Freezing winters, I hear, and then uh, going to Texas. I, I guess that's a good reason to uh, to stay. Now, did family follow you or just you came down here? No, unfortunately,
0: yeah, I'm kind of one, one of those families where a lot of them kind of live in the, the same town we grew up in, and they don't really move my, uh, I have a identical twin brother, he's the one who moved to Atlanta, and then I have five other siblings, they're all in Michigan still.
1: Wow. Now, I'm curious, and we love going to the beginning of people's stories. And so you're, you're talking about early life with siblings. Were, were parents entrepreneurs or were they, you know, blue collar jobs? I mean, tell us a little bit about your backstory in terms of work and family life growing up and kind of what got you to what you're doing today.
0: Yeah, with uh, seven kids, my mom stayed home you know, had an easy job of raising seven kids and uh, (laughs) I'm joking, by the way. Yeah. yeah, So so easy. (laughs) (laughs) There were, there were actually eight kids and then, uh, but so my mom had eight kids in less than nine years. So you can imagine that. And, uh, so definitely, uh, she had her hands full to say the least. And then when I was, uh, about nine or 10 or so, she did start working kind of outside the, the home, but my dad, uh, he was a firefighter, uh, ended up becoming becoming fire chief. And then when he was a firefighter, he actually worked at a lumber yard as well, hmm. typically 30, 40 hours a week into a, an additional, you know, 70 hours being gone. So, but not, not, not entrepreneurs at all. Um, there were, there were really no entrepreneurs at all in my, uh, dad's family or in our family growing up or anything like that. It was really more a function of my twin brother and I were like, Hey, we don't really like having to pay for everything when you're like 10 years old and not having things and everyone needs a place to live. So we started looking at real estate when we were still in college and uh, I ended up purchasing a property our, our senior year, but it was really just a function of, it made sense to us. We both were CPAs studying to be CPAs at the time. And, um, it just made logical sense. People need a place to live. That's
1: Absolutely. fantastic. And 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 this is this is an unscripted question, but curious. You know, of course, the northwest here where we are is massive lumber industry. I wasn't familiar with Michigan being a big. I mean, is there pretty l- big lumber presence there? Is there a lot of that in the economy?
0: Well, growing up, um, a lot of. My friends' uh, parents, or you know, more more particular actually, the the fathers typically at that time would work at the automotive industry. So that was the biggest biggest thing. Northern Michigan, more northward than where I grew up, definitely more lumber focused there. But where I was, it was mostly all automotive. We were it basically between Flint and Lansing, and not too far from Detroit, but still, you know, maybe an hour and twenty minutes from Detroit. But that's where. A lot of my parents or friends' parents, they would work in Lansing or Michigan, which is about 20 miles away from our small town. They like the small town feel, I guess, and then would just drive into work.
1: Hmm. No, that and again, you know, I mean, everybody, I think, knows Michigan for the auto industry, but was curious when you mentioned lumber there. So now when you were doing college, so you were going to be a CPA now, and, and as a banker, I know plenty of CPAs but not a lot of them are real estate investors. So what kind of turned you on to real estate and and really, you know, that was a path that clearly you wanted to go in, go towards.
0: Yeah. Young, when we were young, still in college, it really was a, it was a function of didn't like the stock market, really didn't know much about it, but just seemed kind of bizarre to me. Still does today, frankly, (laughs) how, you know, works or doesn't work or whatever you want to say. And so the real estate was one of those things that just, you know, we knew, people need a place to live one of the primary you know needs of, of people and both my brother and i you know we became cpas worked for the kind of the big four and then I actually switched to it consulting and did that for a while in an it business and continued to buy smaller properties one to four units got married pretty young as well so my wife and i started buying small properties and then kind of concluded that it's gonna take a, a lot of properties to be able to replace my income. Plus we were doing a lot of the work ourselves, which I didn't like, I'm not very good at it either. And then in 2013, we started looking at doing syndications. I have a, had a friend of mine that was doing a deal. I invested passively through retirement funds into that deal. My business was doing you know pretty well overall, IT business, but it was one of those things where I had people you know in india and australia switzerland you know in the us kind of all hours of a day i would sleep just a few hours a night consistently mm-hmm. and um didn't spend much time with my wife at the time so she kind of had an issue with that and she's like you need to do something differently what you're doing now and i'm like we both like real estate so when we start looking at doing larger properties that's what we started doing uh in, in syndication Again, started out with a, a friend first, passively. And I'm like, it makes a lot of sense what he was doing. So that's how we kind of got our, our start.
1: No, that's great. And what um, in, in terms of the IT, when you switched from CPA to that, was that uh, your own business you started up?
0: I worked for uh, a software company. And then in 2008, started my own business. But it was, it was one of those things I did consulting for a long time. And I didn't have a single day, like in 20 years where I wasn't on a project. People might be like, that's great. No, not really. <laughs> not really. You know, <laughs> If you're all the time, I, would, I wouldn't turn out on any project no matter what, because I'm like, you don't know when your next one's coming. Yeah. I wouldn't outsource. I wouldn't hire anything out either. So if I could pay someone at that time, probably I could pay them, you know, 10, 12 bucks an hour. To do some admin stuff for me i'm like well i can't i'm capable of doing that why would i pay somebody to do it so just a bad uh mindset as far as and in, in being naive as far as what it takes to really run a business hmm. yeah
2: were you able to ultimately sell that business and
0: no uh not really we had a software rebuilt that actually is still being used today by a fortune 100 company it's pretty ironic And then we had some other companies using it, but we just, we just told them, Hey, we're not, we're not building this out anymore. I just, it wasn't, it was all 1099 contractors. Sure. So I did, I did some large projects, but it wasn't like I I hired people internally had, you know, 30 people that were on payroll or anything like that. I would just get a project, hire 1099 contractors and the project was done, you know, the, the, their, their contract
2: be done. Right on. Well, circling back real quick to the beginning of your real estate career and buying the one to four um, units at first and just kind of growing your portfolio that way. I mean, were you doing uh, house hacking or how were you uh, financing most of those kind of deals that early on in life?
0: Yeah, looking back at it, I mean, the the first deal we, we bought was like $32,000 for uh, it was a three unit in our making, hometown. Making me so, so jealous. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, me too. Yeah. It didn't, didn't cost a lot to put down, really. We saved up sure. some money. We were able to put money down on that. And then, um, we both started working jobs and lived at home. So, you know, we saved money that way. And again, some of these deals we were buying were were pretty low as far as price point. And then we had a, we bought a, uh we bought two or three deals, three deals actually on a, kind of a land contract, you know, seller finance type option with a guy in town and we put
2: barely nothing down on those deals. So that was that was helpful. And was your CPA education, do you think, pretty helpful as far as having eyes for those kind of deals and getting creative with financing? Or where did you start to learn some of those skills? Did you have a, a mentor at that point?
0: Yeah, and um, the financing piece was we just went to banks. So it was kind of basic, if you want to say. Being a CPA, I think, you know, or you don't have to be a CPA, but liking numbers of being pretty detail-oriented is, is definitely a good good quality. So if you, you know, you don't have to do that. Maybe someone on your team does that. That definitely helped as far as analyzing deals. But we had the answer to the question. We had no idea what we are doing at all. We are just like, and, you know, we had a, there was a local real estate agent guy that, a uh, really cool guy, um, he was really the only one in our hometown doing commercial at all. He's the one that got like the Walmart out there, and you know the this is a different you know um larger retail. and then he sold multifamily and he was I would consider him probably a mentor for sure, not necessarily a paid mentor or not. We saw him like all the time, but he definitely helped my brother. I mean he kind of he was kind of um, I think enamored a little bit because we were we were young doing it and um there weren't a lot of kids in our, our town was kind of one of those towns just if you can think of kind of a small little town everyone grows up there lives there and, and never moves people just weren't doing a lot so i think he he spent some time with us just trying to help us make you know wise decisions on what we would look for and things like that
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome and then um so you'd started uh with Multifamily and real estate in Michigan, and then I imagine kept that up as soon as you moved to the Dallas area. Or did syndication we start did. even yeah, before we getting into Dallas?
0: In... No, they did not. No, we came down to Dallas and started buying small properties here as well. And it yeah. was and the pricing was more, and plus, as you get older, you know pr- everything goes up, right? Sure. So it was yeah. kind of like, man, now um, it's going to be saving money for you know, three years, be able to buy another place. And like, just gonna run out of time, <laughs> you know, I don't have enough time to to live in order to buy what I needed to buy. So <laughs> uh, we started buying the small properties that way. And then again, in 13 is really when we looked
2: at, started looking at syndications. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned you'd started um, passively. How many passive deals did you do before you uh, decided to to take it on yourself Is um, being a a three okay a three passively right on and about how big were those projects that you were part of originally is passive
0: uh the first property was in with like 116 units then one was like 74 units downtown dallas so a really good location yeah. and the other one was like a 400 unit deal in texas
2: yeah so what um I mean, I imagine you did well on those, especially just given the area and how much everything has uh, continued to grow in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, but what for you made you want to make the switch from being on the passive side to actually leading the deals?
0: It was really more uh, the the time aspect of it. You know, I was so ingrained in my IT business and just I'm working just silly hours and that's when my wife's like, this just doesn't work out. It's not working out when you're doing that, you know? So it was really kind of more an ultimatum. And since my wife, you know, Tamil liked real estate as well. I said, you're going to have to help me uh, in the business. And which she did not, not so much initially, but we started thinking about the family. She definitely helped tremendously, but it was really more of a function of, is this the way I want my life to be? Cause I'm kind of like, you know, I came from a consulting background. I mean, you know, 75-hour week was a light week. Mm-hmm. IT business, you know, 80 hours, 85 hours was like just the norm. 90 hours plus was not unusual. And I'm like, this is just the way life is. And then you look back and go, man, this is really the way life is. And I had yeah. I had two kids, yeah. two yeah. kids uh, as yeah. well. Uh, you know, I did, I did actually spend more time with them because um, I'm like, oh, they're going to be only a little so long and then, you know, they'll be gone which is now happening. Right. My son's 18. My daughter is almost 16. And, uh, well, so I did spend time with my kids and basically didn't spend time with my wife. I had no time.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: And I, and, and I want to back up a little, maybe you, maybe you said it and I just missed it, but did you move from Michigan to Dallas to do real estate? And, and if that's the case, I mean, I just want to understand the thought process behind that because most people don't even jump into real estate because there are some pretty serious fears of risk or potential downfall. But, you know, if that's the case with you moving across country, I mean, what was the thought process behind it and, and willingness to move forward?
0: Yeah, I moved here for work, really, for an IT job. Okay. okay. And then I was doing contracting work at a pretty large IT company here and uh, it was for me i was very reluctant to move just because you know close-knit family we used to kind of hang out all the time identical twin brother that was in michigan and but my wife's kind of like the type i mean, I could tell her pretty much tomorrow hey let's pack up and we're going to move to wherever and she's like okay you know <laughs> it's kind of the way she is
2: <laughs> it's just, awesome that's the way she is she likes the adventure yeah yeah no doubt uh speaking of adventure I mean, there's uh, an inherent risk in, even though the hours were non-ideal with the consulting firm and business that you were running, um, switching to go full-time into uh, large multifamily syndication and being the first time that you're leading deals like that, um, huge risk, no guarantee that that's going to work out. And so what was your approach to risk, you and your wife? I mean, having been in the real estate game as long as you were, did it feel like you knew it was going to work out or were you, uh, shaking in your boots? A no, bit? I didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did not know it was going to work out, but,
0: uh, if you want to say, fortunately, I having the IT business, I could definitely scale back certain pieces and work less hours, which was hard for me. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm losing money. Right. But not working. And so that's kind of what I did when we got to three deals through a syndication, you know, with the acquisition fees and things like that, I'm like, okay, we did those three deals. We're, we're we're pretty good for now. And we got them pretty, pretty short period of time. So it looked like things were starting to kind of get some momentum. And then I'm like, we could pretty much live for a couple of years if we had to without really working. So, and I knew I could always go back to IT. I mean, pretty much picked the phone up and, you know, contacts I had, but it is, so it wasn't like a, a cold turkey Quit my job, have no money coming in. It definitely was a drastic reduction, you know, probably went 75% and 50 and 25, and then pretty much down to zero. But it was a pretty short period of time that I went from, you know,
2: the IT income to to zero. Mm-hmm. But you'd set up a good safety net in terms of being able to make the jump of both having some good savings as well as knowing that if you needed to ramp back up on the IT side, you'd have the ability to do that. Which That's exactly right. I did yeah that's awesome i think that helps that's one of the biggest questions that we get as we're talking with people is just all right i want to i want to make the jump uh into real estate investing but i've got so much security with my stable income it's uh it's a huge barrier for a lot of people um so i'm always curious how it it uh, is
0: and i would say don't i wouldn't do it lightly you know i really wouldn't i know people that we've had even people we coach, you know, in some cases, in my opinion, probably leaving their job too early to me. If you have a, you have a wife and kids, you better make sure you're much as possible set before you start just, you know, Oh, this is a dream of mine, but no money coming in. Cause it could take you, you know, right. Minimum six months to go get a deal minimum Mm -hmm. for most people, you know, so people have done it faster We've people in a group that done it in a couple months, you know, which is fast. But uh, I would assume, you know, you're going to be spending a minimum six months and maybe even
2: a year with no income. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty significant for people to prepare yeah, for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and I I think that's 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 great wisdom, too, because, you know, over the last couple of years, the, the bigger pockets, the real estate communities, I think, you know, we know that the last 10 years or so has been pretty fantastic for real estate folks. Um, but as the game continues to change, you know, I think there's a lot of people who don't recognize that this game changes and there's a lot of responsibility. And so anybody can win when times are great. Um, but you know, when, when things tighten up and the market changes again, as, as a banker out here, thankfully my bank's not been in the news for any failures, but, uh, you know, there there is a lot going on right now. (laughs) And, and so I, I think really, you know, evaluating risk. And of course, I sound like a banker because we love evaluating risk. But I, I think that at the end of the day, you have to really take a, a pros and cons. I love that you had a, a nest egg. And even though you started off smaller and doing the the single families or the smaller amount of doors that I'm sure you learned lessons along the way that helped you translate into syndication.
0: We did. We definitely did. And also learned that, hey, that's not what I want to be doing As we got to purchase larger properties. I'm like, this is great. We have a property management company that does the leasing, the evictions, and they handle all the headaches, if you want to say, on a day to day basis. But definitely learned some lessons for sure. And then learned, you know, uh, you know, many, many, many lessons uh, through syndication as well.
1: No, no doubt. And uh, each deal I'm sure is different and each opportunity you learn along the way. So did you surround yourself early on in the syndication? I mean, were you just raising capital or were you saying, Hey, we're going to primarily try to take these on and and operate them ourselves? Or was it a mix of both?
0: Uh, Originally when I started with syndication, it was another guy and I partnered together. So Uh, We didn't have any other partners or co-GPs or anything along those lines. And in that respect, it was, I definitely raised, you know, um, most of the money. I was really more the underwriter. We both looked for deals. So I kind of did everything. Uh, And then we did asset management. He's definitely, he probably enjoys the asset management piece more than I do because I don't enjoy it. I just don't. Uh, But he, I think he does. So um, pretty much worked in every area of the deal first first several deals anyways
1: yeah now go ahead nick
2: no go ahead you had
1: well and i just was going to ask so fast forwarding to today you have a definitely a large coaching and mentor program so one i want to hear kind of how that came to be but also i mean when you set out to do real estate syndication was that always the thought in your mind of hey we're going to build out a program to teach others how to do this or was it, Hey, we're, we're just looking for passive income for our family and to scale back to 70, 80 hours a week.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, actually it was, I had no thought whatsoever ever when I started out doing syndication of ever doing coaching or mentoring or anything like that, like zero. Uh, it was really one of the, a function of, You know, we were already syndicating deals and then just through some circumstances of, you know, there were some other groups out there and things like that. And my personal opinion, some pretty bizarre things that they do, pretty bizarre behavior, my my opinion, Um, the way they treat people in the group, the way they try to put rules. And I'm sitting there going, this is like the, the silly to me. Why would somebody I'm paying? try to dictate who I can partner with or try to take all these extra fees from from me and things like that. So that was kind of what we were dealing with. So we end up leaving, we were in a group, we ended up leaving the group. And uh, even at that time, we're like, really slow playing it like, hey, let's do some webinars here and there, then let's do a meet up and then, a, you know, one day event, two day event. And then both my wife and I just kind of fall in love with it. And our whole group you know, as far as it's called a family syndication group. So it's more of a family vibe, people trying to help each other. And we looked at other groups. We, even when we left the one group and we're all like, we're just like, man, there's, it's just kind of weird to me what was going on. So we said, well, let's, let's try to start a group and ask other people what they want in a group and actually listen to them, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. you should be listening to people. People are like, a lot of people that run groups don't care what people in the group think, what we do. So we're like what do people want in a group how should we treat people uh, how can we structure it to get people into a deal as soon as possible without having all these kind of you know unwritten rules that these groups have that are just hindering people's ability to progress so we we don't have rules like that we don't have the the you know the mandates, if you want to say that other groups have but it was really let's work together as a team, work on those areas that you're good at, that you like to work on, and maybe don't work on those areas that you're not good at, don't like to work on either. And then you can still become very successful as a syndicator without having to do
2: those other other areas that uh, you don't want to do. Love that, and so that's the the family syndication group, and is that fo- obviously falls under the umbrella of think multifamily. Um, how do you have that structured? Is Think Multifamily like your whole uh, business as far as everything that you're doing with investing and the um, the coaching, mentoring?
0: It's uh, Think Multifamily is really more of the the coaching, mentoring, okay, investing piece. There we have a separate separate company for that. That as far as uh, that we invest in, but when we push a deal out, it's it, it is under the Think Multifamily brand.
2: Got it. That's awesome. And when did you start up Think Multifamily? You mentioned it started slow doing some webinars, but about when, when would you say it, it took formation?
0: 2006, yeah, 2016.
2: Okay. Amazing. And was that mostly with uh, local people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that you were connecting with that were joining in or did you... It was. Okay. Yeah, it's changed a lot. So now we have people kind of all over the the place, but
0: yeah, definitely initially it was in the Dallas area. And I think even back then, you know, it was a little, little less social media really being used and things like that. It's still being used a lot, but not like it is today. So most of the people were people we met at meetups locally uh, here. We weren't really advertising or anything because we really, weren't trying to that time really build anything that was big or substantial. I guess, if you want to say just kind of more,
2: kind of more into that, but local, and then now we have people kind of all over the country. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, I don't know if this is still the goal, but at least uh, one of the things you just mentioned was a a primary goal was to get people into a deal as quickly as possible. Um, And uh, I'm curious what exactly that looked like for you guys that you felt set you apart from other groups. Certainly, you'd mentioned that being a whole lot less restrictive in terms of your rules, but what kind of skills, um, did you feel like you really needed to set people up with right away so that they could get into deals as quickly as possible? What were some of the top priorities? Yeah. So one thing kind of just set it apart and I'll get
0: to your question too, as well, that we don't really have a sub coach model. So I do all the one-on-one coaching. I don't think there's anyone else in the country really that does that. Wow. Uh, we partner on, yeah, we'll partner on deals with, with people in the group too. If, you know, both sides want to do that, it's not a requirement. Uh, the two, you know, if someone has money, um, a lot of people don't, they can get into deals easier just because they can maybe send on a loan or put earnest money down. But let's just assume money aside, the, the main areas we had people kind of look at, if someone was more of an IT engineer mindset, they're going to probably be good at underwriting deals. So just underwriting deals, creating, you know, deal analysis, on various deals other than capital, a lot of rules around that, but you know, there's definitely capital required. So if someone's more of a, maybe they have a profession doctor, or maybe they're, you know, marketing background or sales background, they're usually much better at bringing capital uh, to, to the deal. And then the other piece would be, you know, just people that don't have money at all, but they're out, they're hustlers. They go out and find deals. And maybe they can travel different parts of the country and then asset management is another one where a number of people have tried to get involved in that and i would just i would caution people that um you have to really love asset management and if you don't um i wouldn't try to just do that people i think kind of gravitate to that because they think it's gonna be more consistent income which it is on a monthly basis and they can leave their job so you might do it for a while but I'd be, I'd be leery of having asset managers that are also out doing other activities on a regular basis, like hunting for deals and raising capital and underwriting new deals. They need to focus on asset management.
2: Hmm. That's really good. I'm, Go ahead, Nick. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, No, uh, super, really good. And one thing you, you mentioned, um, is that you do the one-on-one coaching with folks and as, I would imagine as the businesses has to grow, that stretches your time in the calendar. What, what's your heart behind that? I mean, what's the reason that, I, you know, again, consistently, you guys, as you share the story here, you say, how do we do this different? And, you know, different in not restricting people and different in the family culture and helping people get deals early early on, you know, different in the fact that you're doing these coaching, you know, so, so clearly you've said, Hey, I'm going to do things differently. And I think even just as a banker, as I talk to business owners, the ones who think differently, the ones who don't go with the flow of what everybody else is doing higher risk, but I'm sure, you know, to, to some degree, but also the incredible reward and the opportunity there. So we're, I mean, why have you set out to do it differently and, and what does that look like?
0: Uh, To me, a lot of it, I would say is, is just common sense as far as, you know, treat people nicely. I mean, I'm not just trying to dog other people, but it's like, I mean, my goodness, I mean, we're all in this together. Let's try to help each other. But a lot of the groups aren't that supportive, unfortunately, out there. Uh, For us, you know, it was something we didn't want to do initially, neither my wife and I. And then, you know, through circumstances, we kind of imagine kind of fell into it, if you want to say. And I'll tell you, I mean, even on a so December of last year, so, you know, six months ago, whatever, we sat down again. We do, we had like two two full days of, you know, meetings and things like that with people that we consult and things like that. But both my wife and I, whether people, you know, believe in prayer or not, we're like, hey, is this is something we want to keep doing. We don't have to keep doing the coaching. We don't. Hmm. Um, and, you know, in a lot of respects, it would be much easier if we didn't. Just reality, right? A lot less time commitment a lot you know we can still be fine and, and not have to do any of that but we do feel that one we love the culture we love the people in the group i, I love to see people that are able to you know, potentially your situation similar to mine or maybe you know something where they're having more of a issue family wise and in time and things like that and um and the flexibility you know i mean there are a lot of things that happen Over the last couple of years too, where you know mandates are happening at the federal level, state level, things like that. And I'm, you know, they're not, I'm not gonna participate in that if I don't want to. And I want other people to have the choices. And I know people personally in my family that, you know, took certain actions during that time because they felt like they were forced to, and they didn't have the finances to to do something differently. So I want people to be in a position to where. They have as much time as they want or as little time as they want. If they choose to keep working, you know, great. But as much time as they want for, you know, their spouse, for their kids, be able to go places and not have somebody else try to dictate what they can and can't do. You know, my dad was was sick and I didn't have to ask anybody to go see him, right? I went, I went up there for 12 days and spent time with him and things like that. But I didn't have to, if my IT business, I wouldn't have gone. I would have been, you know, not trying to be whatever. Call me usually it gets worse, you know. Um, so it was, you know, very fortunate for me to be able to be in the position to where I can, you know, kind of do what I want, but it's, to me, there are, to see the changes it's had in, in my personal life as a a person, but also just in financial and things like that. I'm not just saying to say it's like our kids have a total different life now than they would have had. And hopefully that can be generational. And my, my son who just turned 18, you know, he, we, we bought him a car. He ended up trading that car and got something cheaper because he's investing in multifamily. (laughs) You know, he's sold certain things, um, in order to have money for, he doesn't, you know, get presents typically like on whether it's Christmas or whether it's a birthday, generally a little bit here or there, but he wants cash so he can invest it. And uh, so to see that and, and hopefully generational kind of wealth to, you know, because you don't know what to do with it, it's going to just be gone shortly. So for me, I've, I've seen too many examples of how it's changed people's life drastically. And it's not, you know, it's not just my wife and I, yes, we started the company and, you know, things like that. But it's also just the people in the group that have helped other people as well. And we have things that we we talk about, you know, outside of you know just work, right? But family issues and things like that. We're trying to add different things to our group as well that maybe, you know, have nothing to do with real estate. It's all extra, though. So people, you know, if they want to complain, they shouldn't, because it's all here's everything you get. But now we're starting extra monthly calls on certain topics. We're going to do on uh, next month, like on marriage, for example. We'll end up doing one probably on parenting. Do one like on fitness, just and people again. What does that have to do with it? Well, you know what? It's make your whole life better. And again, we're not taking away something to do that, it's all extra uh, yeah, stuff. Yeah. And that was just added this year as a result of the two day meetings we had, as far as things that we think we can do to try to make people's lives better.
1: I love that. And I love that your heart's there is to think bigger than just real estate. You know, there's just an understanding that one, it all works together, but also, you know, in thinking forward of, you know, we're more, we're more dynamic people than just work. And, and, you know, it sounds like the work has been the platform to then help you open up toward the other areas of life. That's important in that same vein. Let me ask you this, you know, I love asking this question and I'm kind of putting you on the spot but what are three lessons that you would want if you could only share with your kids three lessons in terms of money, finance, investing, um three lessons either you would give to your kids and want to make sure that they know or maybe even our audience who's just starting out and you know not sure what their journey looks like. I mean what 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 are a couple of those lessons you'd want to make sure that they understood and heard?
0: Yeah, if it's, if it's just finances, I mean, there are other lessons I would probably give them outside of just fa- finances, higher priority, but with finances, um, I mean, some are probably pretty basic, but you want, you definitely want, um, okay, so here's what, as I get older too, I'm, I wish I would have known certain things, right, when I was younger, but yeah. look at people that are the, the smart people, right, bankers, how they, you know, right, they use money to leverage other people, you know, things like that, so... I do that on a regular basis now right you know the whole arbitrage and you know interest rate spread things like that so look at other people that are you know been investing a long time and how they invest they invest in private equity which they get priority over everyone else all the other limited partners and people might say well hey isn't their return maybe a little lower well i don't know uh maybe on paper it is but if they sit in front of everybody they're getting paid first so i think if you look at it from the standpoint of you know, where can I put my money that is, there's risk involved for sure, but less risk involved than the average investment. I mean, I would, I would steer away from the stock market 100% personally for me, invest in hard, hard assets, and then it's okay to split up, you know, between cash flowing and non-cash flowing if, if you want to, like we own some land, things like that, it doesn't cash flow. But I would always start trying to get in a position to where you're looking for more doubles than home runs. Hmm. You're, you're working with people that have been there, done that, not, not someone just because you like them and they're, you know, you think they, they you think they can do it and look for people that have made mistakes. You know, I'm on my 120th deal now as a general partner. I can tell you yeah. <laughs> definitely, you know, some mistakes that I've, I've made. Um, and then basically having, having people that are basically pay for, for, pay for people's performance. So when I did it, for example, I pay extra for people that were better. Right, so people think they're going to always save money by spending less. Right, I'm going to I'm going to get the cheapest contractor. I'm going to do these things, but hire professionals, pay professionals, um, and then don't don't skimp on that. And I think the end of the day too, it's it's having you know some liquidity to where you can you you know you don't want to spend all your money. You know, people say oh cash is trash. Well, I, I get that, right? But um, you also want to have cash. And the other one, I would say. That it's okay. And I I had a hard time with this. It's okay to make a a bad financial decision. People are like, what do you mean? It's like, well, it's okay for it to go buy something that isn't necessarily the best financial decision. I'm not saying be, you know, blow your money and things like that, but I had the hardest time. I like cars a lot. I have since I was a little kid. Well, I was, you know, 49 before I bought a car that I wanted. And I'm like, you know, is it the best investment? And some, I actually have car Stuff I do on the business side, but it's one of those things where it's okay to to pay pay for something like that to get enjoyment. Now you'll make sure your enjoyment isn't like, hey, this is looking at me, look at that. You know, I, I like cars. You know, I don't post them on Facebook. I don't do any of that stuff. But I like them. But why? You know, why you're doing it? You know, and then also, like I said, you know, if you're looking at the house. I would go look at a house and if, you know, one house is a little bit more and people might say, well, that's a little bit higher. And if we couldn't negotiate it down, I would pay a little extra for a house that I want versus one that's like, eh. you know, so I just, I think as, as life goes on, it's like, what are you going to do at the end? And if you don't have things you can buy to enjoy, things like that, not, not frivolous, um, but yeah, so. Try to buy cash-flowing deals. It's okay to spend yep. money a little bit here and there on things that maybe somebody else might argue. I mean, I could argue. People go out. I don't drink at all. People go out and spend hundreds of dollars on alcohol. I'm like, what a waste, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that, that's that's how they get their enjoyment. That's cool, fine. Someone might say, well, it's stupid to buy a car that's going to depreciate. And I try not to buy cars that depreciate overall, but if you do, it's like I'm okay with that. I go into it making a a decision. It's not an emotional decision. It's not really a financial decision. It's more like I like cars and I'm not going to be like, you know, I don't get enamored like, oh my gosh, I'm going to buy the car today. I don't do that either. So do research, sure. do those sure. things. Don't make the, the quick, quick investments. And there's always an investment coming along. So don't feel like this is the only one. I've been kind of caught up in that before people presented different opportunities to me. I'm like, man, if I don't jump on this, I don't know if I am ever going to have it again typically okay so maybe you miss all on one but take it slow uh and base you know basically make sure you're dealing with people that you trust and people are yeah. like Can you really i trust that person i don't know i say i kind of do too but do you really really trust somebody i mean i had a partner that did some things you shouldn't do and i trusted him at the time so just realize you're going to be disappointed that shouldn't keep you from continuing to invest and um but be, be cautious of how you're investing and spread it or diversify as much as possible, but I don't think you need to be in 50 different things either.
1: I love that. Awesome. No, thanks, thanks, thanks for thanks for the shares on those, and that's that's all super good wisdom. I mean, that was more than three, but uh, I loved every <laughs> one of them.
2: <laughs> I, I got to ask, I uh, both my son and I were uh, into cars ourselves, so what what you end up getting?
0: Uh, that first one I got uh, was a uh, 65. Uh, Mustang GT. Fantastic. Super. I fun. have since oh, sold awesome. that. And I've, I've bought, uh, in just a few years, just not just, but for personal too. Right. I kind of, once I started, you know, I could get you tricky too. Right. Once I started, we bought like 14 cars since then in three years. <laughs> so I don't know. Be, be careful you do it, but that I like the car, but there, yeah. there's some other cars. I'm actually working on split window 63 Corvette. So uh, amazing. To,
2: so. Well, maybe sometime we'll have the opportunity to talk offline a little bit more about uh, the car endeavors. That's fun, but um, hey, real quick, how uh, how many people do you have or have come through Think Multifamily and the coaching and mentoring? We have hundred and eighty right now with spouses,
0: so so maybe one hundred and thirty ish. Pretty pretty small. Could deliberately, you know, and I'm not saying right. we'll add all other opportunities, but we're all with the one on one coaching. That's about you know, it's a pretty good number.
2: I love how yeah. holistic it is in, uh, in the way that you're caring for, for people in there, um, of the people that have come through it. Um, I know success can be measured in a whole lot of different ways, but in terms of actually, you know, people accomplishing their goals, any sense of like a success rate that you could speak to, uh, when, yeah, we do take it.
0: So we have a survey. So the last stat we took uh, 74% of the people got into a GP spot in six months or less, um, nice. which is pretty fast actually. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, and it's not a hundred percent. We took it on a year, it'd be higher than that. And some people, are, you know, I came into this going, Oh, a hundred percent. Every single person is going to do a deal. There's certain things that happen. It could be relationships. It could be sickness. Um, right. I'm kind of more of the right. kind of get off your butt and do it or I'm here available, help you any way I can. Uh, but we did hire more of a community manager too, to try to help people. That was just recent. Uh, those people maybe are going a little slower to sure. me. I'm more like, Hey, it's like a gym membership. You, you paid for it. You don't use it. It's on you. Right. But sure. I do realize that's not, you know, through people telling me anyways, that, Hey, not everyone's like that. So we're trying to help those people maybe that are, for whatever reason, aren't getting the traction that they should be getting. Well,
2: that's an amazing success rate. I, uh, yeah. it, it far exceeded what my expectations would have been. I mean, no, no matter what it is, nobody's going to ever hit a hundred percent. Um, right. uh, and, and so, uh, that's, that's remarkable. And, um, there, I know we're running short on time here, but are there some pretty clear traits that you just know right off the bat when you're sitting down with people, um, hey, these folks are going to make it, or hey, this probably isn't going to work out. Um, real estate syndication, not for you. And if so, what what uh, are those traits? Yeah.
0: I mean, the, the trait I would say, and it's not, you know, let's say, for example, we have four people in our group talk to somebody and we all go, uh, you know, personality-wise. So I don't care if they're the smartest person, have a bunch of money, um, can honor ideals, whatever it might be. If people don't like work, working with them, they're, they're just not going to make it. I mean, it's sure. just probably an obvious thing, but I, I would say the, um, someone that has a background with numbers will, will typically be able to add value. Now, whether that's the only thing they do or they do other things, but they can typically add value to somebody else and become mm. successful that way. And sometimes it's just the, um, you know, people that are, you know, are able to chat with people, small talk, things like that. They're typically going to be able to, to raise capital. Uh, but there are other people that are just, they might have a fine personality, but they're just negative all the time. Everything's always, you know, like, woe was me or whatever it might be, um, always complaining about things. They're not going to make it. They're definitely not going to survive when things get tough. Like right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good word. Well, Mark, thank you for being on. I got two follow-up questions real fast. They're our gold nugget round. We like to ask our, our guests. So one, what's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you on your journey? Probably the good and the bad days. What Anything that comes to mind?
0: Uh, from a mentor? I don't know. I'd probably think about that, but I know different, uh, a mentor, not really a quote, but a mentor that we had that he actually help me. We hire for business, but he helped me more personally than anything else. So he helped me kind of write down what I want my life to look like and what my, you know, perfect day would look like and things like that. And to start implementing those things one by one mm. to where, you know, you're still going to have stress, things like that. And then as far as a quote, I just, you know, I would just go to the Bible because I don't care what profession you're in. It's, you know, God, you know, God opposes the proud and favors the humble. So I don't yeah, care if you're yeah. a billionaire whatever you think you are, how great you think you are, athletics, whatever it might be, you're not all that. And you can get knocked down in a single day and ruin your life.
1: That's a good word. And that, uh, that's a, that's an incredible verse. I love that. Well, in the same vein, last question, at the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for?
0: Being a, a great father and a great husband. I really do. And, um, I was not a good husband for a while. They're not that I was mean necessarily, but I definitely didn't uh, spend enough time with my wife um, for, for a number of years. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all about family. It really is. And those, that's the most important thing to me. And then I want my, I want my kids to be
1: um, to love, love Jesus. That's yeah. awesome. Yep, And here, here to that, that's a great yeah, word. Amen. Well, well, We're, we're going to wrap it up. Nick, I'll let you wrap it up. But Mark, tell us how can folks get a hold of you? How can they learn more about the coaching program? And then Nick, you can close us out.
0: Yeah, sure. Easiest way is just uh, email me. It's mark, M-A-R-K at thinkmultifamily.com.
2: Amazing. And thinkmultifamily.com would be the best place for people to just go and check out uh, what you're doing as well and learn more about the, the coaching It is. Sweet. Yes. Yeah. Highly recommend that all of our listeners go and do that and uh, connect with Mark. Um, Super appreciate all of your time here. As we've said so many times, it's uh, just amazing what you've accomplished, what you're doing. I'm really grateful for Think Multifamily. I hope that that's something that Nick and I will uh, dive into more and and get to know you better in the, the future years as we continue to grow. Um, For all of our listeners, uh, we've got a new newsletter, and so you can sign up for that at our website, AbundantJourney.net. Appreciate your continued support and look forward to being back again soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.